Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and last time someone found my fridge full of Edie's ice cream, they called the police. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I, I I don't even know what that means. Uh, finally, <laughs> a sequel to the Shaquille O'Neal classic, Steel. <laughs> <laughs> finally, guys. And Jeff Kanata. I'm Jeff Kanata, and I am the pod. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry to everybody listening to this opening uh, sequence. Yeah. I am the pod. For all of us, really. Those are, of course, all very <laughs> oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing uh, uh-huh. Julius Avery's new movie, Samaritan, streaming right now on Prime Video. I yeah, do want to movie call clearly out... inspired us, clearly. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. I do want to call out, a lot of people have been asking, like, hey, where's the uh, George Miller 3,000 Years of Longing review? That's going to come next week. Uh, but we, uh, a couple of us had really super busy weekends this last week, so we wanted to make sure we had time to go to the theater and enjoy the new George Miller film in its full glory. So it's going to be the main review next week. Just like Although, the rest of America is. <laughs> I'm sorry, hey, what was I that saw that? it this weekend. I support it. 3,000 years mm, Just like the rest of America is rushing to the theater to see the new George Miller film. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I'm, I'm scared it's not going to be in theaters next week. You know, yeah. yeah. What happened. So Oof. anyway, but we'll be talking about Samaritan today. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Um, and support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. So before we get to that, we have a few film news items that we want to cover. And as already alluded to, uh, this weekend's box office was absolutely terrible. Um, It was the worst box office that we've had since January of this year. And it was actually worse than this time period last summer, uh, unfortunately. All the kids are going back to school. Yeah. You know. That's true. It was already literally worse than this time period last summer. Than this time period last summer. What were the movies last summer, this this time period? mm, uh, Let me find that for you, Devendra. Because I feel like it was the lack of like big, compelling, you know, box office hits or something, or like big crowd pleasers. Because I I went to see 3,000 Years of Longing. There were two other people in the theater with me, and we all loved it. Like that's the thing. You get the hardcore people, but not uh, not everybody else. Yeah, um, but pretty pretty rough. The to- if you total up all the movies at the box office this weekend, they made around fifty five million dollars, uh, which is really really bad. You know that's how much some movies make in a day. Uh, some that, big that's a bad movies. opening for one Marvel movie. Yes, you know totally totally. That's Ugh. how much all the movies totaled up made at the box office. So uh, it's a bleak time right now. This podcasts continuing to chronicle the end of the theatrical film going industry uh but it's okay guys they've got an ace up their sleeves okay <laughs> you know i know we talk about how movie going is dead and there's no movies out and it, it we're, we're basically our the art form that we have dedicated much of our lives to is on the way out but these guys have a plan okay three dollar movie tickets on september 3rd what do you guys hey yeah that's great I'm reading a little website called Engadget here. On September 3rd, U.S. cinemas will make it more affordable to enjoy the experience of going to the movies as part of a newly announced National National Cinema Day. More than 3,000 theaters across the U.S., including chains like AMC, will offer discounted $3 tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all major film studios and more than 30,000 screens involved, there's a good chance a theater near you is participating, end quote. Yeah. Including so, every format. So, you know, big, big yeah. screens, too. 
Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, you're you're presenting it wryly, or, yes. or you know, and I don't. I don't think this is a bad thing. I think this no, is a. I don't. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I just. I think I feel like <laughs> the timing the, is hilarious. The timing. It's, not, is it's like... not even the timing. It's more like. <laughs> it's more like the the industry is in a really bad state right now, mm-hmm. and I I feel like three dollar tickets are not going to solve the for sure for sure incredibly large problems. That I don't. For, for the theaters, it's like please come buy our popcorn. Please, we're <laughs> we're dying here. My my children need to eat. Buy my popcorn. <laughs> You're, I don't think it, any of them think that this is going to save cinemas, but I think yeah. that's a cool, it's a cool thing. It's, it's a cool, I mean, you say that Jeff, but the purpose of this day is to get mm-hmm. more interest into movies like that. Well, let me make a one-to-one comparison Yes, because it, it you know, what is also dying local <laughs> comic book stores mm-hmm. and they have been dying for mm-hmm. a decade. Yes. Okay? And the comic book industry decided to do something called Free Comic Book Day. Right, right. Uh, in May, and it was usually tied to a big Marvel movie release. Yeah. Uh, Keyword is free, yes. Well, $3 is pretty darn close. If you and, bring your whole family, then it's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, yes, it's yeah. not free, but it's an incentive. And it could, I'm saying my little Pollyanna mind, looking mm-hmm, at the silver mm-hmm. lining here, is mm. saying, you know, did it turn around the entire comic book industry? No. Has it made a big uh, impression and uh, actually made awareness for a lot of folks that would never have set foot in a comic book store? It absolutely has. Mm-hmm. And I think this has the potential, if they handle it well, uh, to be kind of that big uh, mm-hmm. holiday almost. I mean, mm-hmm. free comic book day for the comic book industry is like a big, a big holiday. It's a big Big event where a lot of the publishers make a big deal about it. It's publicized. It, they have events at stores where you know people are dressed up and you can get pictures taken. I don't think or know that that is happening at, at with movie theaters, but there's the potential yeah. of turning it into a thing that's on people's calendars going forward. And I think that mm-hmm. could be a cool thing. It's, I it's would a cool agree. idea. That, I, that's I, a agree good... with, I agree with that. If this is like an a, an actual annual thing that they do lots of planning for and celebrating and so on and so forth, like I agree, there is potential there. But mm-hmm. I also there's no assurance that it's going to last after September 3rd of this year, right? Yeah. So comic book stores were always kind of like and are still pretty niche. You know, like a parent, a typical parent would not step in there unless they're bringing their kid there for something. And for a free day, you have an excuse to go in and everybody goes and stuff. A movie theaters. It's always been for everybody in more of a sense, you know, so I, I feel like, yeah, it's it's a good attempt. Maybe they have to focus a little more on what this is. Um, I don't know. Give us give us discounted uh, popcorn. I feel like that would actually get people in seats. I know people who swing by places just to pick up popcorn, you know, because because they like <laughs> but, movie theater. popcorn. There's no other way to get popcorn. Not, not good. Mm-hmm. Not like movie theater popcorn, you know. But I think it's, you know, it's this discussion we've been having for the last couple of years of what else could movie theaters be doing to improve the experience? Right. right. And, and in general, they haven't done that much. I that's argue, a bigger, right? that's the b- right. bigger thing. I think that's what you I'm know, saying is this is like, instead of doing, instead of working on that, we get national well, cinema day. I don't September think it's day. a mutually exclusive process. I don't think it's an either or, you know, I, I, think, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. It's not either or, but you're dedicating resources to this instead of something else. It's, yeah. And you have, you have extremely limited resources right now. So it, it also feels like not much. I know they, they got a lot of theaters involved in this and major change. I know this is in the UK too, because we've gotten some things about that, but you know, you go to national day.org and it is just a website pointing to movies. I don't think anybody is, is really clamoring to see um, burial hog for Jesus, save your soul. 
GG and Nate. I'm just looking at the posters at the bottom of this. Mm. It seems like a very low effort thing to do to to just do this. I, I would love to see more effort, like what the comic book stores do. Sure. Event. On the so, other hand, on the other hand, the uh, film uh, companies, or I should say, the exhibitors, hands are tied a little bit, you know, because yeah. there's just not that many movies out, which is the whole problem right now. Um, but Jeff, your point is taken. You know, I'm a, I'm a little bit too probably uh, sarcastic about this one, and I think it, it could be a fun thing and. Uh, and I just think that there's other things that she, they should be working on, and may, maybe your position is there, de- mm-hmm. Dave. They're definitely working on those things, but this I don't, should be well, a monthly thing. Position. Like to be but, honest, like uh, and honestly, a lot of theaters do early matinee discounts and stuff. Like around me, a matinee is five dollars, so it's not not too far off from this. But there, there's certainly a lot of other things we could do. That's more than an annual slight discount. Well, I don't to to address your earlier point, Dave. I don't think i could be wrong here but i don't think the first free comic book day was always known to be an annual event i think they right. tried it oh. and then it worked well and then it became an annual event so there's that potential and i think the best possible version of this which you know there's no evidence that this is happening but the best possible version of this is you do the thing you want which is you improve the experience you clean the theaters you make it a a positive experience and then you make it super cheap one day people come in and go oh hey going to the movies is great right right i mean it, it handshakes with each other instead of yeah. being a, an either or um <laughs> so i mean i don't know i don't think that there's really a downside to this in, in per se but it it certainly i certainly take your point that it could not be enough it, it mm-hmm. could certainly not be enough I feel like family passes, we're seeing so many subscription, you know, things right now. And only some of them have gotten like getting your partner in too. And you could do a bundle thing, but a family type of thing that can include multiple kids, you know, and also maybe give you discounts on popcorn and stuff like that's the sort of thing where people be like, just, yeah, I'll just take the kids here and they'll stare at the screen for two hours and it gives me a break as a parent. That right. could be cool. or, yeah. or a more compelling subscription option beyond what a list is right now as an example. Mm. Right. But yeah. Um, anyway, I will also point out, by the way, that there is a poss- there is the distinct possibility that Top Gun Maverick will be the number one movie at the box office next weekend because of how bad the box office is right now, mm-hmm. um, which would be its, I think, 15th week of release. And by the way, uh, next weekend is the final weekend of the summer movie wager. <laughs> so just a, <laughs> just a perfect chef's kiss way of closing off this summer you know yeah uh it would be amazing almost unheard of for a movie to to do something like that but it's possible yeah. imagine if Paramount, if, uh, jermaine had predicted that you know <laughs> it's not only going to be number one in its opening weekend it's going to be number one in the final weekend of the, <laughs> yeah of the wager yeah uh you should, you should get a better uh a special tiebreaker for that um but, you should get like some sort of honorary award to be honest like mvp of uh, of this session yeah yeah well he already made us watch that movie last year what was it called yeah slackers we're not gonna give should, him more movies we should just name name uh jermaine uh top gun yeah <laughs> he already made us watch slackers which i think is honestly the equivalent of two uh summer movie wager victories so uh so he, he does not get any more slack for me but we will acknowledge his contributions when we record part two of the wager which is going to happen sometime in september um but yeah, what what an amazing run for that movie! And next weekend, it could be number one. If if Paramount puts a little bit of ad money into it, they get some get it back in some theaters. Could easily happen, which would be amazing. It's not saving cinema though, sadly. Mm. Have to wait for Avatar two for that, guys. Well, speaking of Avatar two, 
uh, Warner Brothers Discovery making a bunch of changes, some of which are actually positive, as I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago when we discussed this topic. But, you know, they they believe in the theatrical experience. So they're moving two HBO Max titles to theaters. Uh, House Party, which is currently set to premiere in December of 2022. And Evil Dead Rise, which is going to open in April of 2023. Uh, but the biggest change is that Shazam Fury of the Gods, or, or Aquaman, has moved from uh, March 2023 to now December 2023. Aquaman 2 is now going to open in December 2023. Um, it used to be opening in March of 2023. Shazam will now move to take that place. So basically, huh. that clears December of anything else from Warner Brothers that's major other than, you know, it's getting out of the way of Avatar, basically. Everyone's getting out of the way of Avatar. Sure. Um, well, and so, yeah, not just getting out of the way of Avatar. It sounds like Aquaman was nowhere near being done. <laughs> so I, I hadn't heard that. I, I, uh, I don't know about Aquaman. I know Shazam is basically done. So uh, there's no reason to delay that movie other than for strategic value. Uh, I, um, I guess James Wan wrote something about or tweeted something about uh i want to you know i want time to finish look at these yeah. pretty images i want time to finish and people are saying like there was no there was not a single shot that was done yet oh so, wow yeah wow. yeah okay so that would make sense too you know that uh and, and i don't know if it's like shazam fury of the gods is completely done but i think it's certainly more finished than than aquaman 2 was right, so right. we got a trailer um, we, we had stuff for that yeah, I mean, there's there's a full blown trailer and everything like that. It w it was already scheduled to come out this year, but yeah. So they moved Aquaman two, and so now yeah. um, Shazam moves back, clearing the way, Jeff, for Avatar: The Way of Water yeah. to have one of the greatest cinematic there's, runs of all time. Dave, there's no the though in the it's no the yeah. <laughs> I know you joked about this. You're, Dave, kill, you're killing but, me. Uh, you're killing me. We, we may have to do the Avatar re-release. Come on, yeah, come on. Oh yeah, so we have to do it. On that note. On that note, Avatar is being re-released this fall. Um, September 23rd, Avatar will return to theaters uh, for a limited time only. I was not joking, guys. Yeah. I, so will I it, texted will you guys and I said, should we do this for the main we uh, main review for the week after The Woman King, which is uh, going to be the big release of September? But yeah. Not opposed. Um, will it be in 3Dizzle? Uh, or not. I believe so. Yeah, I think it's a full blown. It has to be. Yeah, I think okay. it's a full blown thing. That's the only way I, I want to. Cannot imagine it. James Cameron authorizing this <laughs> without it being a full blown 3D, right? So yeah, James I'm Cameron just said, I'm, I'm, "I'm tired of trying so hard, guys. Just watch in 2D, please." <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to I'm be tired. transported back to Pandora, everybody. Ready, my body yeah. is ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, anyway. It's uh, <laughs> as I as I've just finished trying to make clear. It's sad times of the box office right now. So um, I wonder if they would do the uh, the extended like cut, right? Because there was more stuff with the opening of Jake on Earth that was on mm, the Blu-ray. So I, give us that. Give us something. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we get to the main episode, what we've been watching, and so on. Uh, I do have a couple of emails I want to get to at slashfilmcast at gmail .com. Um, William. From Poland writes, quote, Hi guys, I know you'll get be, get, be getting lots of emails reminding you of Wolfgang Peterson's masterpiece Das Boot. 
the best submarine movie, so I'll pile on as well. While you rightly focused on Peterson's career in Hollywood as an action director, he was quite versatile. Along with the action movies, he had more intimate dramas like The Consequence, a 1970s made-for-TV German movie about a love affair between a prisoner and the warden's son. You mentioned his sci-fi film Enemy Mine and historical epic Troy, and of course, fantasy, the never-ending story. Um, which, bing- which brings me to the real reason for writing. We named our dog after Falcor. There is a resemblance, wouldn't you agree? And uh, he has included an image of Falcor, uh, the dog, which I'm now texting you guys so you can see it live on the air. But uh, it's a very cute dog, and it looks very similar to Falcor. Um, but yes, I, I have not seen Das Boot. I have heard it's amazing. Um, Same, but yeah. I have not committed to watching it yet. And we, uh, we have talked about submarine movies before, so we kind of have to see the originator of that that genre, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a, it is a commitment, though. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. The length of Das Boot is is two and a half hours long, which I guess makes it not too long by modern day standards. But um, yeah, I uh, I want to check it out. We had also kind of de- kicked around the idea of maybe doing a Troy watch for the first time there oh, is yeah. a yeah, yeah. almost three hour long cut of troy on netflix right now um i don't believe it's the director's cut but anyway um that's also something that we could I would watch troy do. yeah so it's just some guys three hour cut that they put on netflix <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't director not <laughs> maybe that's the original all. cut of troy you know i i just assume that if it's three hours it's got to be the uh <laughs> it's got to be the director's cut so it's funny um, to do editor's cut the editor's cut. I, the director didn't like it, but the editor was super in on this version. That, that mm-hmm. does exist for some movies, from what I recall. I have to look that yeah. up. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, the runtime of Troy is two hours and uh, is two hours and forty three minutes. So, um, and I don't know how long the director's cut is, but I would want to watch the director's cut. You know what I'm saying? Like if yeah, if if, if you're watching a movie for the first time, you got to go with the director's cut. I think, unless it's like a very rare case where the director's cut is worse. Mm-hmm. So. Oh yeah, it's, con- it's it, confusing. Yeah, yeah. Like, if I think it's like been the, on a long time and the mm-hmm. director's cut exists, I, I that's what I would go with for sure. Like Michael Mann's the the new Miami Vice that he did. Uh, the director's cut has some good stuff, but it has a bad opening, and the theatrical mm. opening is better. So it's like, what do you what do you do? It's very it's it's very rare that a director's cut will be worse than the actual main cut, um, but it does happen sometimes. A lot of people thought that uh, Richard Kelly's Donnie Darko oh, yeah. director's cut was worse. Kind of, kind of um, kills because that it explains movie a, a lot of the stuff that's happening in the movie. And yeah. I don't know. I, for me, as somebody who likes things explained to him, and also was baffled by the original Donnie Darko, I appreciated it. But I also am older now and understand that mystery can be a really good thing in movies. So, uh, anyway, thank you for that email and the reminder that Das Boot is a great movie that uh, we haven't seen yet. I also want to just read this email from Matthew Granger, uh, who writes into slash filmcast at gmail.com. Matthew writes in quote, wanted to thank you for something you do on the show. I'm lucky enough to have been involved with a couple movies as a writer and producer. Making independent films isn't really something you do for the money. And so often, despite the years of work you put into it, and for so many reasons, a film doesn't find the audience you hope that it might. In this situation, all you have left is the knowledge that a film got made despite the odds and that were stacked against you. Uh, the achievement really does become the simple fact of the thing's existence. And the only way you can keep going is by rationalizing it this way. I profoundly appreciate the way that at the end of the episode in which you haven't enjoyed something, you call it the fact that the existence of the film is an achievement in and of itself. Maybe you're being glib, but I don't think so. Making a movie, even a bad one, is an act of love and willpower. And I love that you guys get it. Thank you. That comes from Matthew Granger at SlashFilmCast.com, referring to the fact that at the end of every review, I conclude by saying at the end of the day, it's really impressive that so-and-so made a movie. Yeah. 
And people have interpreted this to be sarcastic, and it, it comes off as such sometimes. sometimes because sometimes, yeah. because, I mean, it, so, because sometimes we've just completely obliterated a movie, like in the review, you know. And then it's like, well, you're saying it; it sounds like glib as a result. Also, I just have a tone of voice that people interpret as sarcastic a lot of the time. Just yeah. that's just my the way I yeah. speak. You have resting asshole voice. Thank you, Jeff. Um, but, but I it, can assure you that it is not sarcastic <laughs> when I say it at the end of the episode. Like it is, it is genuine, and I yeah. do believe in my heart of hearts that it is incredibly difficult to make a movie. It is sometimes a struggle, as, I, as I'm sure. Like this week, maybe. This, this, week, I, this week is going to yeah. be a struggle. May yeah. I suggest uh, that it is both? That it is, it is both, both glib and sure. not glib? Sure. Mm, yes. It is a Schrodinger's cat of yeah. assholery. You know, it is... I, I think it, honestly, I, I'm, I'm not being glib in saying that. I, I honestly feel that... Because it certainly started as a joke. Right. We, we no, started. it did not. It was it was meant to be an actual honest acknowledgement of how hard it is to make a movie. For that's well, not how I started it. As a, my anyway. recollection is that we all laughed and said we have to say this at the end of every episode. Mm, okay, it, but because the sentiment is genuine mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it is also funny, I think it's yes. both. Yes, I yes. think it's both. I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine, with it. but I, I'm okay inhabiting that uncomfortable space. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. but I know people might take it the wrong way. Just know that in my heart of hearts. I really do mean it when I'm saying it. It doesn't come off that way sometimes, but it, I really do mean I think it is profoundly impressive to make a film, any film, well, no matter how bad. Go and ahead. I Jeff. think I think the 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 true intention is to remind ourselves that a whole lot of people work really really hard to make the thing that we just trounced, you know? And and that's that's not to be taken lightly. I think it's Agreed. It's Agreed. really um it's really an accomplishment to make any piece of art regardless of how it lands on its audience. Totally. Hundred percent agreed, and uh, thanks for recognizing that, Matthew Granger. And of course, we really appreciate all of your emails to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Microdose Gummies. You've probably heard about the idea of microdosing. You know, it's about taking small amounts of CBD THC to uh, help you with sleep and pain and anxiety and things like that. What's great about Microdose Gummies is that they deliver a perfect entry-level dose of THC that'll help you feel, you know, pretty good. I've tried all sorts of CBD products over the years, and I really like Microdose Gummies because they taste good, they're very easy to eat, they're not oily and annoying like some drops. And in general, I found Microdose Gummies just really works. It's helpful when I have a really, you know, busy day and I'm, and I'm feeling a little anxious, or if I just have to do something that's going to be a little nerve-wracking. They're also really helpful for just getting to sleep. I found it a lot more useful than a lot of other, you know, sleeping pill products out there. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code FILMCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description. But again, that's microdose.com and code FILMCAST. All right, folks, let's get into the episode. Let's talk about some what we've been watching uh, I caught a few things that hit streaming this week. Uh, I had a chance to watch Running with the Devil, The Wild World of John McAfee. Oh, boy. I had heard about John McAfee escaping to Belize, being entangled in the case of the murder of his neighbor. This is the man who keeps my computer secure, right? <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, <laughs> debatable, but yeah. And it's funny And it's funny that when you see him in this documentary, he's like... Um, He's always like introducing himself as, oh, do you know the antivirus person? You know, like I'm that guy. You know, like, that's the <laughs> one thing he's going to be known yeah. for. Like, I, I'm know. all about security over here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I know we just finished talking about how every movie is an accomplishment, but guys, this is one of the roughest documentaries I've ever seen. It, really? it basically 
John McAfee got people to follow him around in the final years of his life. Yeah, there's and an you, unmade Vice documentary, right? That this there's an, yeah, it's, and, yeah, and so they got th- that's cool. They got the Vice footage. So long time ago, Vice got the story to go follow John McAfee around and film him, right? And what was really hilarious was they posted this this uh, story on December third, twenty twelve. Uh, the, the headline of the story is we are with John McAfee right now, suckers. <laughs> and subheading is, oh man, I'm so sub-bikes. jealous. Sub-bikes. Subheading vice editor in chief Rocco Castoro and photographer videographer Robert King have been following John McAfee for the past four days, documenting his life on the run. Rocco and Robert will continue to follow John until the conclusion of his journey. End quote. Now what was inc- hilarious about this what was really funny about this is they posted a photograph of them with John McAfee, but they forgot to remove the metadata before it was posted on the Vice website. <laughs> if only they had a computer security expert with them. <laughs> yep. And people were able to geolocate them, <laughs> even though John McAfee was literally fleeing from the law and authorities at that time. People were able to geolocate them based off of that uh, photo. Now, so the documentary is kind of worth watching because... It's chronicling what happens yeah. to them at that time. Like the, there's some all crazy the shit going on with this man's life. You know, right. you, you guys talk about Tiger King. McAfee's <laughs> over here, like, right, yeah, running the law, potentially murdering people. I think his story is genuinely wild. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool that you get some behind the scenes footage mm-hmm. of that happening, what I just described. But other than that, the documentary is so poorly put together Oof. in the sense that it makes something really interesting feel boring you know the best documentaries take something like a penis museum or something that you wouldn't think you'd be interested in mm-hmm. yeah those are be the like, best uh-huh. documentaries dave yep mm-hmm. and you be like, them. oh wow <laughs> fascinating you know i'm not saying that one in particular is really that great but i'm just saying <laughs> you know it, it takes a boring topic it makes it interesting this mm-hmm. topic this movie does the opposite it sells itself like this topic <laughs> sells itself so to hear that the documentary itself is bad is heartbreaking because honestly this is a story i've like secretly wanted to cover somehow in some way it's just like that's not the kind of journalism i do yeah uh, i thought guys, I, I thought i was gonna watch this movie and be like yeah. oh divinder you gotta check it out you know yeah, that's yeah, what i yeah. thought i was gonna say on the podcast today mm-hmm. um but sadly it is just you, you know like netflix documentaries have a template now right oh yeah you you Uh think you think that it's gonna be like oh talking heads being like i can't believe what it was like to be you know and the blah 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 and archival footage and all this like you think you know what a netflix documentary is going to be and i was thinking at the very baseline this would deliver that right it would be like average netflix documentary at worst but it doesn't even have those things like i'm I'm like (laughs) it doesn't even have like cultural expert or John McAfee historian kind of commenting on why any of this mm-hmm. is important at all. Like it has nothing. It, the, 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 it has such a limited pool of interview subjects. Um, it just That's a really shame. wasn't That's interesting in my opinion. My, so, one of my colleagues, Dan Cooper and Gadget reviewed this and he, he liked it. Uh, but I will tell you, uh, I, I probably trust your opinion more on documentaries, Dave. I told you guys I've met John McAfee and it was a singularly terrifying experience. Because I was on the show floor at CES and he was like, he was like talking about this, um, some random startup that uses keys for security and it just didn't seem very great. And he was also, it was one of his many times he said he was going to run for president. So I was grilling him on that, you know, and his platform <laughs> and what it meant and what he meant. And uh, he he was a little like uh, standoffish to begin. But as I started like 
asking him actual questions about everything he was talking about, he would just get progressively angrier. And uh, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been near somebody where you can see, like, if you look into their eyes, you could just start to see, like, a, fl- a switch, you know, changes into, like, oh, I, I, I should walk away from this person in this bar. <laughs> like, something could happen right now. And I was doing this on camera. Um, you could find that video. It's in Gadget. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's, a, he's a troubling fella. And, that is the sense you yeah. get when you're watching the documentaries. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. Anything could so. happen. He, he shook my hand and he like gripped it in such a way. I was like, <laughs> this is dangerous. I'm in danger right now. <laughs> well, that's Running with the Devil, the Wild World of John McAfee. I didn't love it, unfortunately. And I usually don't... Uh, like if if I watch a movie like this and I don't like it, I usually just don't say anything about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Because uh, again, you don't really want to go against make, your mantra. Yeah, it's hard. It's to really make. hard to make a movie, and I, I get it. But it, I was just I was so disappointed by this one, and I feel like people are going to go to this hoping for an interesting look at John McAfee's life, and they're not going to get it, in my opinion. And I feel like I want to warn you about that. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, it's just uh, so I can't get over the fact. That the guy who exudes danger is is the same one whose brand is the protection of all of your most valuable. That was separated bile. a long time ago, man. Yeah, it's so yeah. funny. I, I know, I know. Yeah. It's it is, and the company itself is like ugh. Every time he more does proof that we're living in a simulation, Jeff. You know? <laughs> yeah, the simulation has gone haywire. Basically, it's like so. if you met John Madden in real life, uh-huh. and he was a bumbling buffoon. Oh wait, dang it! Oh. Hang on. Wow. Sorry. Wow. John Madden slam. <laughs> no, we can't do that. Dang. Postmortem. I love John Madden. No one is safe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's Running with the Devil on Netflix. Okay. I had a chance to watch Hatching on Hulu. Nice. You guys have heard of this, sh- this movie? I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this. I've heard many good things. Yeah. Yeah. Hatching is a horror film on Hulu directed by Hannah Bergholm. And this movie is great. Uh, it is a low-budget horror film, but it has amazing creature effects. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of uh, an A24 film, like uh, Lamb, if you've seen Lamb, the A24 film with Numi Rapace, um, and, uh, or The Babadook, you know, another uh, low-budget horror film, but basically, like, there there is a creature of some kind that is threatening this family, and uh, and the creature represents... Uh, an idea or some ideas together and uh, and the creature effects are really, really well done and the performances are great. And the way the film is shot is really uh, off kilter and unsettling. One of the characters is a, influ- a mommy influencer and she's like the mom of the family and, and everything is shot in these bright, saturated colors in a way that makes you feel like, oh, everything's going great with this family. But it hides this seedy underbelly underneath that's obviously uh, very troubling and, mm-hmm. and disturbing mm-hmm. that you get to witness during the course of the movie i really like this movie i thought it's a lot of fun it's really great and if you like kind of again low budget horror movies of the style of lamb or others i think you're really gonna have a great time with hatching mm-hmm. which is streaming right now on hulu a finnish horror film by hannah Bergholm. So. I want to shout out Tasha Robinson did a piece on the creature effects. It's called mm. The Startling Story Behind Hatching's Horrifying Puppet Monster. And uh, because, because like Hannah Bergerholm basically got people who were working on Star Wars in the Dark Knight to come and work on this little indie movie. So yeah. that's pretty cool. It, it, it honestly, the puppet effects, the creature effects look so good. It's like 
you are accustomed when you're watching a movie mm-hmm. that's this low budget to like, oh, they're gonna like hide it. Yeah, they're gonna cut around it's it. Shadows they're gonna, or it's bad. CG they're gonna put it in the or shadows something. or out of yeah. focus or something. And then, it, but the way it's done is so vivid, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't do a lot of the. I mean, it's artful. You know, they hide some of it, but in general, uh, they let it all be visible, and it's really, really impressive. So, strongly recommend Hatching if you're into those kind of gnarly horror films. Uh, it's streaming right now on Hulu. Those are some of the things I have been watching this week. Devendra, hit us with what you've been watching. Sure. A couple of things from Amazon, actually. I've been checking out the new A League of Their Own TV show. Uh, this is the one, obviously, like, you know, uh, based off of the original movie from the 90s. Uh, this is a retelling of that story, very different characters, but you can kind of see how templates from some of those characters, like Rosie O'Donnell's character, clearly has um, has a parallel in the show. And the show is co-created by Abby Jacobson from Broad City and Will Graham, who, uh, who used to show run Mozart in the Jungle at Amazon. So I really like that show. I was really excited to check this out. This was pretty great. It, it is essentially what you think a league of their own is. It follows a group of women who are trying to, you know, start a professional uh, baseball league and the sort of sexism and everything that they kind of have to deal with, especially, um, you know, post World War II. Uh, but I also think it's, I don't know if you guys remember the movie, you know, I think the movie had some high points. I really liked Gina Davis and that like as a kid, um, but it's not a movie I'd be tempted to revisit or anything. I think this uh, show does a lot with that story. Like it is a much more textured version of, uh, you know, it has what eight episodes to kind of discuss what these women are going through and how they kind of overcome sexism to kind of start their own, you know, baseball league. But also it does something that the movie never did. Um, this is a story about white women and this show also focuses on a black woman who's not allowed to be on the team and her story runs in parallel with uh with what these women are doing too and i think you know actually questioning a bit of that you know intersectionality you know it's hard for women to to start in baseball it's even harder and almost impossible for a black woman to do it professionally um i think is really interesting i think the characters are really well done and for darcy carden fans out there I, I think you all will love this show because Darcy Carden is just like a total gem, like a total charm bomb. She is, she is just like full on great in this show. Um, it's also a very queer show too. So I think like it's gonna, you know, it's, it does a lot of things. I think the original movie couldn't really do very well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. I think it's worth watching. I also think it was like affected by the pandemic a little bit um, because casting changes uh, a bit at certain points um trying to see so i think some of the cast members had just like had to drop out after a certain point uh what's his face from parks and rec uh the boss whose name nick offerman? Is nick offerman he is in here but he's only here for like part of the show and then he disappears like poochie like Nick Offerman <laughs> was off to another planet now because they were filming this, uh, I think like pre pandemic and then they had to break as the pandemic began. And it's just all kind of messy. I don't think the show is as smooth as they wanted it to be, but you know, for what it is, if you want to see Abby Jacobson do it to something really cool. And if you're intrigued by the concept of league of their own, I think the show does a pretty good job with it. It's just not, uh, it's not totally perfect. Uh, if they get a second season, I, I think they could have like a much smoother story to tell. Was Offerman the uh, the Tom Hanks role? He's, he's the coach, yeah. yeah. He was the coach at the beginning anyway. Yeah. <laughs> really weird. Really weird what happened there. 
Well, that's a league of their own and is available right now on Prime Video. Mm-hmm. Devendra, what else have you been watching? I've been checking out Paper Girls, which I know you shouted out, uh, Jeff, and yeah. I love the comic. I think the show um, that's on uh, Amazon now as well, it's about a group of you know young paper girls who, uh, who find themselves in the future talking to themselves, and there's a lot of other stuff going on, which I think is pretty, pretty great. Uh, and pretty interesting like it delves into sci-fi in a way that you don't quite expect seeing the beginning of the show mm-hmm. i love everything from rye cave on um and i think this is a pretty good adaptation of the original comic um it reminds me a lot of the way runaways was adapted uh, there aren't as many changes as runaways i think um because runaways was just sort of like it was full-on like uh, total ideas like the actual concept of runaways was completely changed for the tv show but it also did a great job of delving into the kids and you know what they were going through and what their family lives were like uh i think this is a lot of fun there's a lot of breakfast club in here too because the girls are very much like very different types you know there there is a girl from like um you know a working class family there's a one of the main girls like a young asian girl and her, her mother is an immigrant so she's dealing with all sorts of issues too it is very much a breakfast club uh, with like a big sci-fi story going on and time travel at the same time. I think it's really, really well done. So check out Paper Girls. That's on Amazon, too. Yeah, I agree. It's super fun. I'm surprised more people aren't talking about it. It's not being it, promoted very much, I think. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those ones that would be latched onto by the the, the Twitter folks and, and mm-hmm. people would be tweeting about it. Especially- I think there was also some controversy with it too. I think uh, Joanna Robinson, I saw had tweeted, she pointed out that the original creator for the show, um, who was kind of like working on it for a while, uh, Stephanie Folsom, she, she was working on it for years. The scripts are from her, but she was uh, fired by Amazon, like <clears throat> through production. And I think that put a bad taste in some people's mouths too. <clears throat> so it kind of has that legacy to it. The show that we're getting, I think is pretty good, but yeah, I, w- I would love to know like what happened there too. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hadn't heard that. Uh, there is uh, the end of, I think, one of the early episodes, three or four. Uh, it goes full anime in a yeah. way I, I yep. did not see coming. And I was like, oh, my God, we are here now. This is we're, what's happening we're here now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think the, the, the show has some real surprises and uh, it, it delivers on a sci fi premise that mm-hmm. everybody thinks about. It's like, would you, if you could time travel, would you go forward and see what you're doing in the future? Yeah. Would you go visit yourself? And, and what this happens movie... if you're disappointed in your future self? <laughs> yeah. Like, then who are you mad right. at? Yeah. And it's, it's, the show really goes there and it's, it's a fun, mm-hmm. it's a fun thing. I, I, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Paper Girls. It's on Prime Video. Devendra, anything else you've been watching? I also want to shout out Mo on Netflix. This is the next show from Rami Youssef and Mohamed Amar. Um, and uh, this, you know, Rami, uh, I think, was canceled, right? So Rami is no longer a show that's being made. So it seems like they they flipped it around and now they're focusing on Mohamed Amar. And this is a show about his life, uh, sort of like a fictional retelling of his life in Houston as a Palestinian-American, as somebody who's growing up in Texas, as somebody also who is in a you know, in a place where there are a lot of different languages going around. Like, um, I think this show is very much a dramedy like Rami was. I think it is a little fun, a little more fun, like a little funnier, I think, because Rami was a great dramedy, but I also felt like it was very self-serious at times, whereas Mo feels a little lighter. Uh, Muhammad Amr as a character is a little cuddlier and, you know, just more fun to be around, I think. Um, And it really does like, 
you know, just delve into his life and uh, the experiences he's having as somebody in Texas. I think there's a lot to learn here. Certainly if you're interested in like the Palestinian American experience and it goes hard, like uh, I'm not going to spoil too much. Like there, there, there is a mass shooting in the first episode and it is just like a fact of life in America. And the way the show handles that I think is really interesting because it's not, it's partially for laughs, but it's also like you're, you're dealing with that for laughs. That is deeply messed up. And the show really straddles that line really well too. There's a lot of like serious concepts and stuff and, you know, things, things pulled from his own life, like the death of his father. Um, this show kind of handles a lot, but I think it is really, really fun to watch. I've always liked Muhammad Amar. So I, I think like this is definitely a good shining, you know, vehicle for him. I know he has some stand up specials as well. So if you like his stuff or if you just want something that's Rami esque, I definitely think you should check out Mo on Netflix. Very cool. Great recommendations, Devinder. Really appreciate it. Um, all right. That's what Devinder's been watching. Jeff Kanata, hit us with something you've been watching. Well, last week was the season finale of Only Murders in the Building season two. And I, you know, I've been banging the drum for Only Murders in the Building for a long time since since the first season, since the first few episodes of the first season. Uh, and I'm I'm here to tell you it's still awesome. And that the season finale of season two was a banger i loved it uh overall i think season one was a little bit better than season two i just prefer it a little bit more but man the season finale was one of the best episodes of the entire two seasons and they it, it just it just crescendoed in the coolest possible way they really did a a send-up of those old you know agatha christie or puiro or or you know any of those old um uh, parlor mysteries where they assemble everyone in the same room, all the all the uh, suspects that we've seen throughout the whole season, and our heroes step through who done it, uh, and they did it. It's so brilliant, it's so funny, it's so smart. I just was blown away by the finale. And then they did uh, something that now has become, I think, a uh, tradition for this show, which is the sort of last bit of the season finale sets up the next season. So we saw that at the end of season one, it, it, it set up the, the drama of central drama of season two here. They're really setting up the murder and the, the problems that we are, we suspect will happen in season three. And I honestly, I don't know how you do that because hmm. th this show, you have to plan out an entire season in advance, because if you're going to show us something that's going to be referenced and solved throughout the entire next season, you kind of got to know everything about what that season's going to be in order to show the murder happen, show the, the principal problem that is going to be unraveled. And there's going to be twists and turns and surprises. You have to already know what information you need to plant in that episode at the end of the previous season. I just am very impressed with the, you know, calling of the shots so early uh, because you can, you know, if you haven't really planned out the entire next season yet, you might shoot yourself in the foot by not including or including things that you're not prepared to pay off. Uh, I don't know. I just think that's really impressive. And, and I love the fact that they do that. They show you the, the entire, you know, the entire premise, the entire uh, central question of the next season at the end of the current season. Um, so I just love Only Murders in the Building. I, I, I think it's this perfect pairing of brilliant comedy, very smart 
character study, great uh, mystery. It's just a fun, fun, fun show that I'm, I'm hoping continues for a long time. I will say, Jeff, my wife and I recently finished Only Murders in the Building season one and uh, had a really good time with it. Um, yeah. We the, Episode seven, which was written by, I think co-written by Ben Philippe, who's uh, been a listener of, of some of my podcasts in the past, and uh, I'm a big fan of his work as well, uh, was one of the most brilliant hours of television, or half mm-hmm. hours, I think, of yes. television I've ever seen. Um, yes. Yes. It, it's just an extraordinary episode of television. Yep. Uh, and there's more of that in season two, dude. So <laughs> my, my wife and I got to the end of season one. We're like, that was, that was pretty good. We put season two, episode one on and immediately it felt like the show had jumped the shark a little bit because Amy <laughs> Schumer shows up as herself. Yeah. Uh, I think. And I'm like, and, and I think she's not the only, um, well, the celebrity Sting, guest in that episode Sting too, was right? in the first season as himself. Right. The right, idea but, is that this, this, the building in the yes. titular, only murders in the building is a very, very high end New York building yes. where very rich people live, hence the celebrities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, anyway, after there's like multiple celebrity cameos, my wife and I are like, is this really a show we're going to continue? Not sure. And then we haven't finished watching season two yet. I, um, I predict but, if you do and you get to the final episode of season two, you will have the same exact thing. We're like, ah, oh, that was so fun. I'm glad we did that. That's my prediction. Right. If, if, you did, if you felt that way about season one, you almost certainly will feel that way about season two. Yeah, basically enjoyed season one, like thought the mystery was was pretty cool, like pretty well done, you know, as a mystery. Yeah. Um, and like some really nice stylistic touches in season one as well. well the, the, um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I'm glad you like season two. Um, yeah, well, the, the so, cool thing that they do in season two that I don't, they didn't really commit to in season one is that, Every episode of season two makes a very strong case for one particular person being the person who did it. Mm. And mm, so yeah. each episode, you're like, oh, that they just revealed who did it. And every episode does that. And then at oh. the end, we compile all those people together in one room and we find out who they gather everyone into the accusing parlor and slowly solve the crime. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, which is yeah. a trope that they're very consciously, you know, sending up. It's, it's, I think very brilliant. All right. All right. Well, I will definitely consider checking it out. Uh, it's only murders in the building season two and Jeff, uh, you're going to get your wish because uh, season three has already been greenlit. If I'm not mistaken. Right. I'm so happy to hear that. I, I, I would assume that they wouldn't have ended the season the way they did if they hadn't known. I mean, like I said, there's a lot that happens in the last five minutes of that episode where I'm like, they clearly know where they're going. Cause it's, it's, there's a, some major stuff that happens and I'm not going to spoil any of it, but it's big. All right. Uh, what else have you been watching, Jeff? Well, as you fellas may know, I often consult our audience for suggestions using the tool hashtag slash tag, a phenomenal way for both us as hosts and our listeners to share in recommendations of great stuff. Hashtag slash tag on Twitter. It's great. I often uh, peruse it looking for great suggestions. And this week uh, I took up the suggestion of uh, Jesse J. Anderson on Twitter, who suggested a film called Coherence. And now as I uh, looked up just to remind myself who it was that suggested it, uh, I, I put in <laughs> my name and coherence in Twitter as a search. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it turns out 
People have been recommending this movie to me since 2015. It's uh, it's almost 10 years old at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it's, uh, pre-COVID. It's old. Pre-COVID. Amazing. Pre-COVID. Did the, you, have the, you guys seen this movie, Coherence? Yeah, close to when it came out. Yeah. You really did? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. This, is, uh, this is a movie I had not heard of. It is available on streaming uh, for free on, um, well, you know, if you have a Prime subscription, it's it's not a uh, one that you re- requires a rental. Um, and it is a uh, very much a movie in my wheelhouse, very much my jam, which explains why so many people have have uh, recommended to me over the years. I should probably just uh, shout out, uh, who is it that did the first one? Back in 2015, uh, in July of 2015, <laughs> John Reardon wow. uh, suggested, uh, uh, I find myself uh, having very similar movie tastes as yourself, Jeff. Watched Coherence last night, loved it. Have you seen it? So it only took me seven years. Yeah. Uh, Listen, to... your recommendations don't go to waste, people. We will That's remember. right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and uh, several other people in the meantime also recommended this movie. And I, I understand why. It is, uh, a, it, I have been very vociferous in my, uh, my enjoyment of contained small bottle movies, you know, uh, movies that take place largely in one location, feel like they could be a play. They're very talky. There's my jam. And Coherence very much is that. Now, I will tell you that uh, Jesse J. Anderson, in, in suggesting this movie, said, don't read anything, just watch it. Mm-hmm. Which I did. And I am glad I did. Uh, so I will uh, allow folks that may want to have that same experience uh, an opportunity to skip forward. I'm, I'm going to talk about the premise of Coherence, which I did not know going in, and, and I thought was a a really fun way to watch the movie. I will say, I don't think the movie is a complete home run. It's a little clunky. It's a little clumsy at times. There are some things that happen. It feels like this movie was largely improvised, um, which when you feel that in a movie, it's not the greatest feeling. You go, oh, this doesn't feel scripted because it's a little clumsy. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but it, it, it seemed that way to me. Uh, but it is largely a, a group of people in one place. And if you don't want to know the premise, I would say skip forward, uh, you know, a, a minute or two. Um, but now I'm going to talk about what this movie is. Coherence is a science fiction film, although it doesn't present as such at the beginning. Uh, it is a group of people that are getting getting together for a dinner party uh, that just happens to take place while a comet is flying over the Earth. And this comet evidently uh, creates a situation where some sort of uh, wormhole or, or, or scientific anomaly happens that allows uh, multiple different realities to overlap. So what happens is they're at this dinner party and they, the power goes out and they go uh, over to a house that has lights on. And that house is their house and they are in it. And they start realizing that there are multiple realities. There's these two realities that are happening at the same time. And they're trying to figure out what they are thinking in the other house. Really cool. And it gets even crazier from there. Uh, I love the ideas of this movie. I really was on the edge of my seat throughout it trying to wonder figure out where it was going there's some really smart approaches by the characters as to what they would do in that situation but like i said 
still real clumsy, a, 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 some logical leaps that I go, ah, if I was in that situation, I don't think I would think that. Um, so not a complete home run, but certainly I think a movie worth checking out. It runs just about 90 minutes. It's brisk. It's, uh, if you're into movies like that, like I am, uh, you like fun sci-fi premises. I've never seen a movie kind of approach this idea in this way before. And uh, I, I recommend it. If you know going in, it's not going to be a completely perfect experience. Um, I think there's a lot of joy to be gained by watching Coherence. Jeff, I understand, especially when you were told not to look into the, uh, you know, what this movie was actually about. Yeah. Um, how did you decide to watch it after years of recommendations? Like, what what is the trigger? Well, I'd be honest with you. I, I did, like I didn't realize it had been recommended to me okay. for years. It, was, it just like popped up. It popped up. And I was like, yeah, oh, I'll, yeah, I'll check yeah. it. I love them. It said, you know, bottle movie. It's a movie mm -hmm. you, I think you'll like. Don't look at anything. Just watch it. And I was like, oh, I'm intrigued. And I was looking for something to talk about on the show. Uh, so I I checked it out. And, and uh, then <laughs> later I realized, oh, my gosh, this has been recommended to me for actual years. <laughs> yeah. All right. Those are the things we've been watching this week. Let's get to weekly plugs. Just a weekly, plug. weekly plugs is the part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, so I host a podcast called Decoding TV, which has previously been covering She-Hulk Attorney at Law. And I am very pleased to announce that on that podcast, at pod, which you can find at podcast.decodingtv.com, we are going to be covering... Amazon Prime's new show, The Rings of Power. Uh, and I have a very exciting co-host for that show that I am not going to announce mm. on this podcast today. It is Golem someone who himself. I have... himself. Yeah. <laughs> it, is some... it is somebody who I have never worked with before. Ah. Um, and... other half of his, of his persona. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just it's... a mirror right next yeah. to Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Dave, chin's precious. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's someone who I've never worked with and, um, mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm really excited about it. And, and cool. it's also cool. like, I have not generally like, you know, I generally, you know, uh, if I'm going to work with someone, you know, there'll be a guest on the show or a guest on mm -hmm. one of my other shows mm -hmm. for a little bit, but like, we're going all in baby with this oh, one. Okay. So, wow. Uh, no trial it's like a relationship there. commitment. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, Rings of Power will be eight episodes, and two of them will air in the first week, this week, actually. Wow. I'm so, absurdly excited about this show. I, yeah. For all the money they spent on this thing, like, I'm just curious what the hell it ends up being. Yeah. Yeah. So next week, we'll probably, I'll probably talk about it a little bit on what we've been watching, but I will I'm be sure recapping my... it on Decoding TV at uh, podcast.decodingtv.com. That's so, exciting, Dave. Uh, be sure That's to subscribe really cool. and, and get on board. I'm Give sure be, my heart will be broken on with this one, but I'm really, it, it really. It can't excited. be as bad as the Hobbit movies, you know. So well, we, we can I only mean, go up from here. The the premiere of the movie was last week, and uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, like there was an event in New York where people yeah. got to see it, and uh, they showed the first two episodes, and apparently they were like incredibly badass and exciting. That's yeah, cool. that's why I'm so excited about it because I've read some people's reaction of like you are not prepared for what you're about to see, yeah. all that stuff. I'm like now whether or not it actually honors the spirit of Tolkien's books, who knows? Right? Well, I don't but care. Like, about my that. understanding is like yeah. as a spectacle, sure, it's going to be well worth checking out. So I'm really looking forward to it. And again, uh, I'll be covering it on the Decoding TV podcast. So uh, 
And I'll be curious to hear what you guys think. Maybe you guys will check out one or two of the premiere episodes. I'm, so, I'm more yeah. excited for this than to keep watching House of the Dragons. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, Devinder Hardor, your uh, weekly plug. I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, it's all about Apple's far out event that uh, was just announced. It's scheduled for September 7th. And Sherlyn Lowe and Matt Smith, my colleagues at Engadget, talked about like what they're expecting and you know the, the sorts of like upgrades and things. Uh, what does far out mean? You know, like there, there is a lot of like decoding <laughs> Apple invites happening right now. Um, I, I honestly think I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we saw the news about the T-Mobile uh, linking up with SpaceX to or no, with Starlink to get some like satellite basic messaging support. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that uh, on, on other devices down the line. And maybe Apple will have something along that. So check out this episode. It's pretty interesting. Where's my folding phone, Apple? Come on. I mean, it's, it's a longer conversation. Do you, you want that? <laughs> kind of do jeff canada weekly plug i do a video game podcast called dlc you can find it at five by five dot tv slash dlc this week's episode particularly great i thought uh we had dan casey on from the nerdist he's very funny uh very sharp-witted and uh we got to talk about a really big week in video games the gamescom opening night live festivities uh jeff keely hosted a, a big event Nice, that yeah. uh, debuted uh, dozens, dozens of of new video games. Uh, we broke down all of the ones that caught our eye, uh, as well as talking about the games we've been playing. Um, give it a shot. If you like video games, give my other podcast a shot. Why aren't you giving it a shot? Give it a shot, everybody. Give it Jeff, a have, shot. You, have you ever been to Gamescom in person? I have not. It is, uh, once it's safe, because I saw the crowds and it just made me scared right now, but it is a really interesting trip. I really liked, I went there once for Cologne and the trip itself was hell, like just dealing with uh, German airlines, but Cologne is beautiful and Gamescom as an event, just like having this um, bigger than E3, just a huge celebration of gaming was kind of uh, brilliant to see. 350,000 attendees at Gamescom. Wow. That is big. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I do want to plug uh, this podcast. If you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash film podcast. Sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. We never want anyone to support us if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Uh, if you want to support us for free, it's very easy to do that. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave a star rating or a review for us. It would really help us out a lot. And it just takes a few seconds of your precious time. Uh, you can do us a big favor without spending any money at all. So thanks to everyone who is a supporter, who is a patron. Thanks to everyone who supports us by recommending the show and by reviewing the show. We really, really appreciate it. Let's get to our review of Samaritan. I found him. Samaritan. Samaritan died 25 years ago. That's what they say. You think you live across from a superhero? Do you have a therapist, kid? Samaritan is dead. I pick up garbage for a living, pal. Samaritan cleaned up the streets. <laughs> you mind your business, I'll mind mine. Welcome to the film cast and our review of the new Julius Avery movie, Samaritan. I'm David Chen here with Jeff Kanata and Devinder Hardor. I'm going to read the plot summary of Samaritan on IMDb. A young boy learns that a superhero who was thought to have gone missing after an epic battle 20 years ago may, in fact, still be around. This movie is interesting in a variety of ways, mm-hmm. at least on paper. It stars a 70-something-year-old Sylvester Stallone. 
uh, trying to play an ostensible superhero. It is directed by Julius Avery, who made a really fun horror movie called Overlord. In and nobody's seen. We we reviewed it, but yeah, yeah, not really talked enjoyed about it very much. Really yeah. great, great horror movie. Like really loved it, and so <laughs> obviously interested in what he would do next. But what's also interesting about Samaritan is it's a superhero movie, uh, quote unquote. I don't know. Drew, it's a '90s superhero movie. That's what exactly. It is. Yeah. Drew, Drew McQueenie, uh, in his newsletter, formerly Dangerous, was saying, "Oh, Samaritan is a movie that was actually has been on the shelf since 1994." <laughs> Wait, what's that you say? It's not been on the shelf it's since not? 1994. It's actually a new movie. It it has learned none of the lessons of any superhero movies over the course of the last. A uh, few decades, and and apparently, by the way, the plot of the movie seems to exist in a world where uh-huh. people don't know about superheroes either, right? Sure, like, yeah, where we're sure. like they're very rare, which actually <laughs> made me feel weird as I thought about it because it's it's rare to have a movie like this where superheroes are no longer ubiquitous, right? It's mm-hmm, weird to have mm-hmm. a world in a movie where not everyone's talking about superheroes and knows what they are because that just well, be in the nineties. In the nineties, superhero movies buried the superhero. Like yes. the idea was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Try to minimize the superhero ness of it as much as possible. <laughs> that was all. That's all backstory stuff that we can show mm-hmm, you in a, the mm-hmm. first two minutes of the movie. The, it's not really. It's a, it's a. It's about superheroes, but it's not really about superheroes. Right. Yeah. Right. And that, that all kind of like we saw a bit of that with like X Men. I think it was really Spider Man that really was like, hey, he he's Spider Man. Deal with it. This is colorful. <laughs> you know, this is a comic book. Even X-Men, yeah. the first X-Men, like they didn't get the costumes. They had to have right? cool 90s suits. And even they made fun of that. So Leather, yeah. baby. Yeah. No masks. Mm-hmm. I will say with all that stuff I just said with uh, Sylvester Stallone, Julius Avery, like a lot of potential of oh, the guy who played Ashtray, I think, yeah. in Euphoria. So excited right? to see him do something uh, else. Yeah. Javon Walton is in this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, Lana Walton. A so, lot, yeah. uh, lot of like really great talent involved in this movie and also the fact that it's not taking place in either the dc or marvel universe uh in in my opinion kind of increases the potential for something interesting to happen you know it doesn't need to freed from the constraints of needing to be connected (laughs) to another universe surely surely they would find some interesting story to tell you didn't you guys didn't see the uh the post-credit sequence when morbius showed up (laughs) I wish would, that would have been one of the most Who would show up in this movie? It would be like, no, Stallone as Judge Dredd or something. Like, this is a movie that fits right alongside Judge Dredd and Demolition Man. Yeah. So Definitely. with all that potential, with all the potentials to to do interesting things, to have a great director, a legendary actor, Devendra Hardwar, how well do you think this movie succeeds? Not very well. Not, not very well at all. Uh, I will say, I don't think it's outright terrible. There are things about it that I really like. Um, Stallone can, it's like impossible for him not to be kind of compelling as a screen presence, especially as like a grizzled old semi-retired superhero. I think uh, the kid, uh, certainly uh, Javon Wana Walton, I love him in Euphoria, but I'm also always worried about him in Euphoria because he's doing crazy (laughs) things and like around all the, like it it is an environment where I'm like, I just want to protect this kid. So I am kind of glad to see him be in a thing where he can just be a kid and he's good. Yeah. Here's the thing. I mean, I I have to say, I I think he's a very talented actor and he's great in Euphoria. Unfortunately, I think he's horribly miscast in this movie. Maybe. Um, In in Euphoria, like Jeff, you haven't seen Euphoria, but basically he plays this kid who, has seen a lot of stuff in his life and he, has he's the to, younger brother of a drug dealer. Basically. Yeah. He's needed to grow up yeah. like really fast, basically yeah. in euphoria. He is a gang, a young gangster. Basically. Yeah. And, yeah. and that 
experience and that kind of sensibility is l- almost literally the opposite of yeah. what he needs to play in this movie, which is mm-hmm. young, bright-eyed, optimistic, precocious, like you're the real superhero, you know, and it's just it's just mm-hmm. n- not what his not where his strengths lie unfortunately mm-hmm, at this mm-hmm. stage of his career in my opinion but it's also I, like kind of the vibe of the movie that nothing about the movie is energetic or precocious i'm thinking about like yes. the kid in the adam project who i hated who has all that like child actor energy of just he was trying to be a young ryan reynolds so that's actually perfect like child actor energy yeah. precocious kid really plucky and quick with the one-liners this kid this movie's very weird right like the the world of this movie is just like what what is it is it grunge city or something? No, it's uh oh, I was gonna remember it. Now I can't. It's it's nameless yeah. city, basically it's like, like dirty Philadelphia. This, no. this this movie, there is no fun. Granite, in it. granite. granite. I knew it was a city. G word. Granite. Yeah, oh, granite city. <laughs> the, the the most colorful stone we have, <laughs> granite. Um, yeah, couldn't they have chosen like quartz or something? Come on, guys. Doesn't <laughs> this is kind of like a weirdly? Could you have been Onyx movie? City? Okay, anyway, go ahead. Onyx something. <laughs> it it is trying to be gritty, but to me, it just feels like dirty and kind of boring. Like the actual environment of the city. There's really nothing unique to it. It's just city. It's a dirty city. Um, I think the kid is fine. Um, well, I'll say I. I really I liked him because he didn't feel like those typical precocious child actors. And I think he has a sense of uh, he has a sense of screen presence that I think I just enjoy watching. So there's that. But I think this movie fails on almost every level. Right. It has a, pre- a good premise. I, I'm not a big fan of the opening, which I kind of just really makes it clear what's happening in this movie. Uh, I, I think it opens really poorly. There's not like enough good action. And there's a really cool concept here of like trying to pull a retired superhero, uh, you know, back into work. Uh, there's a lot of like Batman. Uh, what, what do you call it? The, the beyond. Yeah. Be- beyond like when, it, yeah, older Bruce Wayne, but kind of trying to pull him back into action. Also having Stallone be one of these characters too. There's so many interesting elements. And I feel like this movie doesn't really capitalize on any of it. Uh, there's a scene where the villain who's just like absolutely generic gangster guy um, who has a generic, you know, group of friends who are his gangster buddies. He does something to, uh, to kind of like incite the, the people, the underclass of the city to follow him. And it, it's, it's nothing like it is nothing. He blows something up and everyone's like, Hey, we should just start looting. Cause this guy says looting is okay. So I'll believe this guy. There's, there's nothing really interesting about that setup. And ultimately, this movie is about a superhero trying to defeat a group of just like dumb gangsters. There, there's no, there's no super villain gangster, right? They're not super powered well, in any way. It just there's a it, weapon it, that conveys some superpowers. Yeah. I, I guess it just it never really felt uh, compelling to me. So I, yeah, this movie just feels weirdly poorly made. Aside from like some of the roles, and it's interesting early on, but it feels almost too long for what it is. It's not even that long. I just feel like there are so many places where this movie could have veered into something interesting. And it doesn't. It's like completely yeah. by the numbers. It does feel like it came straight out of the 90s. My Steel comparison. I saw Steel when I was a kid. And this is just as forgettable as Steel. Doesn't I would agree with you it. Uh, that <laughs> yeah. it does do. There There are places where it could theoretically get pretty interesting. One of them is like this idea of um, people in the city, citizens being dissatisfied and stuff like right, that. Right. And and. Um, massive unemployment people yeah. who want to rise up you know there's a lot of like a uh, uh, dark knight rises here yeah it, it feels like there was a lot of stuff that was meant to blunt mm-hmm. this movie 
in terms of its impact. Like anytime that it tried to do something too interesting, it felt like it was dumbed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, Sylvester Stallone's politics are relatively well known at this point. It's possible that originally, uh, you know, th- there's a large portion of the Fox News watching audience that just thinks like major cities in the U.S. are in ashes right now, right? Sure. And it feels like there's this yeah. uh, sensibility if, if of Fox like Fox News made a movie set in the city, it would probably look. It would like be like this, this yeah. right? It would yeah. be like this, and it's like it's because of these woke mobs that are like destroying the city. But it doesn't even. <laughs> It's, it doesn't even have that, and it's, that's not even part of the text, really. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. if it was, at least, you know, say what you will about the tenets of Sylvester Stallone. At least it's an ethos. But instead, what we that have doesn't here doesn't even make is, any sense. But okay, yes. <laughs> instead, what we have here is like a very kind of neutered version of mm-hmm. even whatever that story would be. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course there's um, other developments that I'll talk about in the spoilers that could also have been interesting. But that the, the, really there's a pretty legitimate twist here, which I think yeah. the movie just kind of. To kind of tell you early on, but also mm. it does nothing with it. It yes, other than one line. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But we'll, we'll talk more about that. Anyway, Jeff Canada, your thoughts on Samaritan. Well, Dave, my thoughts on Samaritan are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Told in Stallone voice, I hope. Uh, uh, I am the law. Uh, all right. Here's my Samaritan limerick. A few moments did make me groan, and the story beats are all well known. But I lived through the 80s, so I'm not going to hate these throwbacks to old school Stallone. Wow. I, uh, I don't really disagree with anything that Devendra said, especially the part where he said it's not awful. It's not an awful movie. It's not awful. It's... It's fine. In the nineties, this is what we had to live with. This This is is the best we got. We would have, we would have been like, ah, amazing, (laughs) a superhero movie. Um, yeah, it, it, it is nothing special, entirely forgettable, immediately forgettable. And yet I love watching Sylvester Stallone on the big screen, man. Mm -hmm. I love watching. I mean, this is a smaller screen than big. It was big in my house, but the, I love watching him. The dude I mean, this is basically Rocky Balboa meets mm-hmm. Unbreakable, right? Sure. It's it's the guy who begrudgingly with his hood on, begrudgingly is a superhero. And like the the young kid who wants to get trained, you know, finds him and pulls him out of retirement. It, it is all those tropes we've seen a million times. There's nothing unique or interesting about this movie. And mm-hmm. you're right, Devendra, 100% predictable. Like in the first yeah. five minutes, I'm like, well, know where that's going. He is a but, superhero who drives a garbage truck. I haven't seen that before. So that's his super vehicle, <laughs> yeah, apparently. That's true. Yeah. Uh, you clearly haven't seen Men at Work, which oh, yeah, that's I a argue good is a superhero movie. A better no, movie. Not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it is entirely forgettable. There's not a single action sequence that's thrilling. There's not... Uh, there's nothing that is awesome. I, I actually did like the first two minutes where they kind of give you the entire backstory because it's done... In this very stylized comic yeah. booky comic way, style. Sure. I like it. I like the. I thought it was cool, yeah. uh, but really, that's the last visual thing in the entire movie that's interesting or has the any last kind bit of... of color you'll see in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> true. And really, the only thing that makes this movie watchable, I think, is just the inherent movie stardom of Sylvester Stallone and seeing him just kind of mosey his way through. I mean. I will get to it more in spoilers, but the rules of his superhero dumb don't even make any sense at all. There's no, and I'm yeah. very yeah. ticked at that, but 
somehow I sat through this movie and was like, that oh, wasn't bad. I mean, in the days of Demolition Man, I mean, you guys are going to probably mm-hmm. say I'm being, uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, tra- uh, transgressive, saying that the Demolition Man isn't that great of a movie. We just rewatched it recently. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that great of a movie. It's but not that different from this. A lot yeah. of ways. I mean, it's a little more interesting because you go to the future, but mm-hmm. like those movies, those big successful action movies of the late eighties and, and early nineties, that's what this movie is. And so I guess I'm sort of inured to that, uh, <laughs> you know, and I just, I just accept it. It's like, it yeah. feels like a throwback Stallone movie. And in that sense, I was like, it's watchable. It's but not we, were, we remember those movies fondly through nostalgia, right? right. If you saw those movies for the first time. Now you'd be like, I, why am I wasting time with this? I have so many other things to watch. Like there's yeah. so much else going on in the superhero world and in so many other things, other types of movies I could be watching instead. I agree. I'm trying to pin down kind of what are the aspects of modern superhero films that are better than movies like this, you know? Uh, <laughs> an because we all think of... it's a throwback, right? I mean, yeah. and I identified a few of them, which is no connection to any other universe, right? Like, it's just telling its own story and it's self-contained in that way. Um, yeah, but that's not, I don't think that's a major. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So, so I, I guess I'm like, when you, when you think of the differences between like a movie, like Wesley Snipes blade and demolition man and meteor man and like the modern day Marvel movies, <laughs> right? Very like, meteor what you, man. What do yeah. you, what do you think are the biggest differences? I mean, mm-hmm. I think there is a, there is a, a, a life and energy of those Marvel movie, even the first Iron Man movie, sure. leaned into its premise in a way that this mm-hmm. movie just doesn't. Premise re- and comedy too, like there's a quippiness to all these movies. Yeah, yeah, and and fun and and mm-hmm. sort of brightness. And you know, this movie is so paint by numbers. It really, you just you know exactly where we're going, where we're headed. There's nothing interesting or surprising about what happens. There's no life to the world around it. Yeah. All the, I mean, characters get introduced for no reason whatsoever. We get this, this, um, uh, this, this guy who wrote a book about Samaritan, uh, who's introduced Martin for literally Star just shows one up scene. for five minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, don't don't forget. Well, okay. Yeah. Not just one scene. He's more than one scene. But yes. Anyway. I mean, he's just exposition no. man. Yes. Right. Yes. And there's, but there's nothing interesting about him or mm-hmm. lively about him. There's no. I mean. The, the bad guys aren't fun or interesting. There's nothing. So it, it is just bland. It is just and, so bland. I, yeah. To me, that is, it's almost that nineties kind of denial mm-hmm. of the superhero-ness that, mm-hmm. that is really, I think from my perspective, the difference of what happened when Marvel started making movies For is sure. they went, if we're going to do this, let's do it. Let's not, not do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, let's and, let's drill down on that for a second, Jeff. What, what do you mean by not? In what ways does so, this movie not do it? Right, like just to the, clarify the the hallmark of superhero films and and early video game films in the same way is like let's take this IP that worked in one medium uh-huh. and throw, throw out it all away as much yeah. of it as we possibly can. Oh my and god! Figure out a way to make it more like a movie mm-hmm. instead of like the thing it was and. The first, the first Iron Man movie went. Hey, we're making an Iron Man movie. Let's make it about Iron. Let's like do that that mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of all the movies that had come before, which is let's desaturate. Let's throw out anything that would seem weird in the real world. Let's you know try to and well, and, and, and I guess the biggest actually now that you're saying it, this is very obvious, but I don't know why I didn't point it out. Like the biggest thing is 
most of the Marvel movies tell the pers- tell the story from the perspective of the superhero themselves. Yes. Which this movie does not do. Yeah. yeah. Not, not the, the not the helper kid, not somebody yeah. coming into the world, which was a staple of '90s stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One one thing I want Good to point, point out, like there there were a handful of '90s movies that tried to be the the actual thing you saw in the comics, and I'm thinking of Albert Pyun's uh, 1990 Captain America. Does anybody remember that movie, which stars J.D. Salinger's son or wow. grandson? What one of those? Um, I watched that movie a lot as a kid because I was like, "Hey, this, he's actually a superhero." This this movie is it's not a good movie, but I, I am a big fan of Albert Pyun's movies in general. Um, but it, he had a costume. Uh, Red Skull was there. Like it, it was yeah. kind of the thing. But the other movies you mentioned, Dave, um, there is a big difference between like early and mid '90s superhero movies and then like Blade. And Blade is like the marking off point and even like spawn i'd include spawn there because spawn was like very visually inventive and was all about spawn but it was blade spawn and x-men and even though they weren't perfect they they took us to the point where we're like oh we can we can focus on superheroes we can do superhero things and then you get to spider-man which is full-on like 60s jack kirby style i guess right or whatever you would call like that that early style wasn't afraid to be and uh, wasn't afraid to be a comic booky. And then the Matrix was the biggest movie ever made in 1999, right? right? So at that point, they're like, "Oh yes, sure, power, right. superheroes, everything. It, this is what sells now." Yeah, larger yeah. than life. Yeah, uh, grand scale. I mean, you see in in this movie, Samaritan, everything is is grounded. He punches a brick. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's a superhero power is punching a brick. You know, it's yeah. it, it's not swing through the the buildings. It's not. You know, you, you look at something like uh, the, you know, 1970, what, seven Superman, you know, mm-hmm. the Christopher Reeve Superman. That was an anomaly that just didn't. Mm. Nobody tried to replicate that for some reason. Everybody w- decided in the 90s that everything had to be stripped down and antihero and yep. and, you know, grounded and gritty. And it just was the antithesis of what we now see with the MCU and the DCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there is also the idea of, uh, the stakes, you know, I think the pendulum has occasionally swung (laughs) too far in the other direction. Yeah. Uh, a little bit too much blue beam in sky on occasion, uh, in this new era. But I agree the the movie feels like very unimportant. Yes. Like the, the, uh, safety of a city is at stake, but like. What is the guy's plan even? Like sure, he's sure. going to destroy the power plants Who or whatever. Who cares you know, about the like, city? Why should cares? I care about the city? Who cares? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and to be fair, some of that's probably filming during COVID era. Like mm-hmm. there probably was a lot of stuff they couldn't do that they wanted to do. But uh, I thought this movie was pretty rough. Um, not great. You guys have made a lot of great points. I will say that seeing Sylvester Stallone not only act in this movie and be charismatic, as you said, Jeff, but actually participate in the action scenes. Like there's a bunch of action scenes where, yes, I'm sure there was copious stunt doubles and digital trickery use, but there's a lot of scenes where it looks like he actually did it. It looks like he actually swung a car door and hit a dude in the face. You know, like it actually looks like he did it. And that's just inherently interesting because the dude is in his seventies and he looks still really good uh, doing his thing. And it's like, and I actually like a lot of the action scenes uh, in this movie. There's only one moment that I thought was cool, and that's when he he leaps over a car and pulls it up with right. him to right. block a blast that happens. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really the only memorable moment of any of the action sequences for me. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I like that there was a lot There's of a fight where he beats up a bunch of kids. That was <laughs> yeah. What do yeah. we do? Then we later find out it's okay because they they're, were they're teenagers. Older kids. They're teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> they look tiny. They look like they're yeah. 
He looks like half his size and weight. Yes. They literally call him out for that. And, and it's like, no, no, no. They were teenagers. <laughs> It's it, but it actually reminded me like it's rare to see superpowered humans go up against, uh, against like normal humans these yeah, days because it's boring most, most of the time. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. think of the opening of Captain America: Winter Soldier. Sure, you know, right. which that was pretty cool. And there's a lot. There's some sequences in this movie that actually remind me of that. You have like a superpowered guy just completely annihilating these like regular dudes, and that's kind of like interesting to watch. Yeah, um, but that's, a, that's yeah, another yeah. staple of those early superhero mm-hmm. movies. Is mm-hmm. like. The idea that it, it's so weird to have someone with superpowers, there can really only be one in the movie. So <laughs> the, the superpowered hero has right. to only fight right. non-superpowered it's true. people. It's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I, I thought it was rough. Everything I said is right. There are no interesting choices made here other than the stuff I said about the action. Um, the villain is super boring. I feel really bad for this guy because... <laughs> He's basically played Pilu Azbek. He was also Euron Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. Yeah. He basically just plays assholes that are not very interesting. And I'm sure I mean, as, a, as an actor, trying. he's like, yeah, I, I'm sure as an actor, he's like very talented and he's just not getting the room to, to flex his abilities. Um, but yes, it does very much feel like a 90s throwback and not in, in the greatest <laughs> way. Uh, and, and, and especially in what I think you and I, all of us would agree, is a very crowded marketplace for superhero movies. For sure. You need to do a lot to distinguish yourself. Yeah, do something different. Yeah, yeah and, and this movie, unfortunately, does not. So, And they, they thought, what if we were boring? How about <laughs> just a boring gray city and old Sylvester Stallone? Like, yeah. that's all. Let's get to spoilers for Samaritan starting right now. Yeah, wrong it's the music. film cast. Wrong music, wrong music, sorry. It's the film cast. <laughs> now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. Well, the big twist in the movie, folks. Spoilers it's a Billie for Billie Eilish song. Yeah, it is what'd you say? A it's guy. a Billie Eilish. They should have just played bad guy in the background. Yeah. Mm. Do something interesting, anything. So yeah. inherently, I think it's actually kind of a cool idea. Sure. Right? Yes. That yes. It's like, oh, he was actually the bad one, and he's been trying to like atone for it during mm-hmm. this time. But like, why did he try to atone for it? None of that regret explained at all in this. Movie. You know, like yeah. what, what was his emotional journey? He seemed to have some regret when uh, Samaritan died. His but brother like, died. Why yeah. Didn't feel that way. You know, like we don't get any of that. Um, so it's but just the fact that that there's this weird moment where the bad guy says, "I'm doing your plan," and he's like, "That wasn't the plan." It's like. Tell me more. Tell me literally anything more about the situation yeah. there. What well, is your the motivation? <laughs> why, why do we care about you, any of this? There's not enough exposition in this movie at times. <laughs> yes. there, and even like there are moments where like he looks forlornly at something. He's like, ugh. Like he he looks like a person who's lived with regret, but he could easily be a superhero who just failed at his job and to have that same regret. But the the reveal moment where he takes off his mask to to give us like er, you know young Stallone, they're twins. Yeah, like that's not. That's I not kept, a dramatic moment. I kept we thinking know. about that. I was like, why do we need them to be twins? They don't need to be twins. Yes. <laughs> First of all. Yeah. I kept thinking that. Like, they both have masks. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess so that they're the same age and like two sides of the same coin, I guess. But 
Yeah. They need to be. I they thought, don't need you know, to be twins. What's the coolest version of this movie, honestly, would be if they're both alive mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we get the reveal that we've been seeing different ones each time mm, and one mm. of them has been living the other one's life. Like, it, that like would a prestige be, situation. I, like, yeah, go prestige with this. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, or, or another way to do it would be they're both alive and like the one that you think was evil sure. is evil and the one that you think is good is good and... Or, or, or you know, re- reverse mm-hmm. basically, and like, and the evil one became good, and the good one became evil for reasons that the movie explains. And it, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's tons of like that's interesting- basically Watchmen, though. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, literally yeah. anything, literally anything. <laughs> anything it just give anything us something. Else. Give us something to it's, work. It is a reveal <laughs> that is telegraphed mm-hmm. from the very beginning, and so it is obvious. But I was still kind of looking forward to it sure, because sure. I thought something would happen as a result and mm-hmm. literally nothing nothing, changes. nothing changes like he's still fighting the same way he's still he doesn't even nothing. like yell at the bad guy like give me back my mask or anything mm-hmm. like that he's not because right. the That's guy is pretending hammer. to be yeah. him and he doesn't even seem to be offended by that or acknowledge right. it in mm-hmm. any way right it, it, there's just it feels like i have to imagine like stuff got cut out of the movie that like ex- that goes into some of this because this is basic Storytelling yeah. rules. Sure. Like, yeah. this, is, this is not like hard to. Mm-hmm. If the three of us schmucks can come up with it, like I bet you know. And there, there is rumors of like the that the tr- uh, production was troubled mm-hmm. and like um, it feels very possible to me like this was in the script and it didn't make it into the movie or mm-hmm. it was in the movie and it got cut like for time. Uh, but yeah, it's there's baffling. like basic things that aren't in the movie that you need mm-hmm. for the movie to be successful. Unfortunately, I mean, yeah. there, 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 it's a lot of other things too. I don't think the the idea of a hammer forged from hatred or something. How do you do that exactly? How, how, how do, do I you forge do that? But also, hammer? <laughs> big steel hammer. Again, we have seen that in the movie Steel. Uh, not <laughs> not that exciting. Unless you're Thor's hammer, I don't g- give me something else. Anything well, else? There's so many other things you could be doing. It's yeah. very funny that in a movie that is so grounded. Mm-hmm. In the real world, they have a a hatred hammer, a hammer forged from someone's hatred. Mm-hmm. Where in in the universe of this movie, where he's like fixing watches and doing stuff, it feels like we need more of an explanation about how that happened. Because mm-hmm. in a Marvel movie forged from hatred, oh Thanos is like doing. I, I'm in. Sure. I get the it. Guns you know? are Infinity Stones. Sure. That's all yes. You need. If forced it, from hatred, ooh, yeah, no, probably hatred's probably a person. I don't know. But mm-hmm. in this movie, it feels like you're just some dude who's super strong. You forged it from hatred? How do you do? And then then the the gangster who's a nobody, who's nothing, uh is using that hammer like kryptonite, I guess. Hammers are big. It does take a lot of work to swing them. I can't imagine even a former superhero would be like the the first couple swings of that, he was just letting the guy hit him. And I was like, what are what are we doing here? Oh, yeah, okay, this is so what we built up to. This gets me to my biggest problem with this movie, yes. which is, what are Samaritan's powers? Mm-hmm. Like, what we have this entire scene, which I thought was actually pretty clever, of, hey, I generate all this heat, and so sure. I eat ice cream to cool myself down. That's cool. That's cool. Clearly, in any other script, is a big setup, right? And yes, we do get a bit of a payoff for that at the end, yeah. but it makes... so. Is he Superman where you can shoot him and his skin is steel and it just bounces right off? Yes. No. That, that was made also, very clear from the beginning yeah. that he's invulnerable. But he's, he's also in, Wolverine because yeah, he, he gets, gets hit by a car, which seems like way less of a problem than being shot multiple times. 
He's being shot with machine guns mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. slowing down, but he gets hit by a car and he has to like Wolverine himself <laughs> back to life. So it's probably the cool, the coolest scene of the movie, but also you knew what to expect there. So yeah, well, that was a cool, yeah, great moment when he gets hit by the car. It's very shocking. You know? yeah. But at no point does he ever experience what he experienced by getting hit by a car again. Right, he never experiences right. the need to reconstitute his body in any way. Good, good, good Stallone impression there. Um, and also, like, I don't Ugh. think the Edie's ice cream comes back at the end, right? Like, mm. the, the whole movie they're setting up that like the ice cream is going to like ice help cream. him, right? Yeah, right. And I it's mean, like it just, it's just cooling him down, I guess. So the water is is the thing, but it's the thing, but yeah. I, it's 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 like it's so unnecessarily and inconsistent and he's doing stuff for so long yeah. before the heart thing starts to happen and the whole thing only happens when it's the most convenient time for it to happen well yeah. he, he's in a giant building that's on fire with the worst cg fire uh, i've seen in a very long time too so i guess that you put him in an oven then he starts to open heat overheat sure yeah sure. yeah mm -hmm. uh I, I, I was talking about uh javon wana walton in mm -hmm. the in the pre-spoiler section and uh, his performance really came to life for me in the final act of the movie sure. when he's mm -hmm. like really gets to a dark place, you know, he's like very angry and upset. And I'm like, Oh, like uh, bringing some of that euphoria energy to this, which feels much more in line with yeah. like kind of what his skill set is at this point. Mm -hmm. than like, interesting. Hey, he, gosh, he's going to be a big gee, emo I'm actor. A young kid who's in the superhero yeah. movie. And it's like, I just am not mm -hmm. buying I didn't have, it. Unfortunately, I didn't have any of that baggage. Cause I haven't seen euphoria. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I wasn't expecting that out of him. I didn't so did you it. like did you like the child performances movie then? I mean, I'm I'm loath to ever criticize exactly. a young actor, uh, but there yeah. is I, I I think the direction did him no favors. That's uh, that's of, what I'm saying. It's mm -hmm. it's the direction of he's like, and it's the direction of the casting. It's like this, you know. I I don't feel like it plays into his strengths, um, and also. The dialogue was pretty rough too. There's to a moment that. at the mm -hmm. very end where Stallone gives his big rousing speech where he says, um, you know, we have the good and bad inside of all of us. It's, it's, it's how, what you, you make the choice. And then we cut to the kid and he, he goes, <laughs> and it's the goofiest, like straight out of the nineties. Mm -hmm. Just, I was like, oh, that is doing that actor no favors because that's what, that's what I'm saying. It's not mm -hmm. at all the actor's fault. And I, I do not want to come off like we're, crashing yeah. the actor in any way like the actor has very little control over how they appear on screen you know yeah. um but i do think that just like this whole movie was a mishmash of these different tones that didn't quite work well together so any other thoughts on samaritan uh yeah i i don't know why this movie exists like i just have so many questions like i was asking myself while they were making this like you had so many other better decisions to make. You could have done so many more interesting things. Uh, you know, as we were gearing up to review this movie, I was worried because we didn't hear much about it. You know, like it wasn't being promoted much. Um, it is a big new movie with Sylvester, with Sylvester Stallone from Julius Avery, which I guess he's not a big name, but I was intrigued. And the fact that there was no promotion or anything made me worried about what it was. And ultimately it is exactly what I was worried about. Like it is not a terrible movie that you can make fun of. It's just kind of a middling thing that's kind of boring. You know? Yeah. Well, I think that this is one of Sylvester Stallone's few movies where he plays a literal superhero. You know? I know. It's such a bummer uh, that this is the. I want to see him. I wanted but, to see. I think yeah. old Sylvester Stallone as old superhero is yeah. Yeah. awesome. It's an awesome yeah. get. But it's. But I, I guess basically, when I'm thinking of why this movie exists, 
right? It exists because people like Sylvester Stallone want to be in it. Yeah. Uh, that's how a movie like this gets financed. And Sylvester Stallone probably was like, hey, here's an opportunity for me to be a superhero. Um, and I mean, he was also, also in probably... Suicide Squad, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, well, he's going to be in Guardian. He's in Guardians of the Galaxy oh. as well, I believe, right? Um, I thought it was Suicide but... He was, and, and, and also he's squad. he's a yeah. King Shark in Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you know what I mean. Like he's not yeah. really himself in right. Suicide mm-hmm. Squad. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is like he gets to be himself and be in a superhero movie, and uh, and this is an opportunity for him to do that. And actually, probably if you think of the movie through that lens, it explains a lot about why the movie is the way it is. Because sure. like sure. this is a this is a movie made the way Sylvester Stallone would have wanted to make it. You know, when he was in his prime, probably. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's much more like Demolition Man than it is like any movie out today. Yeah, right. Except not as fun as Demolition yeah. Except Man not as fun Judge and random Shred. and weird. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there's yeah. world building in Demolition Man. This is <laughs> Granite <laughs> City with trash on the ground. Granite City. <laughs> At the end of the day, though, it is impressive that Julius Avery made a movie, and uh, it is hard to make a movie, and even the ones we don't like, a lot of work got put into them. So. Uh, that is our review of Samaritan. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen. Check out his bands, The Midnight and also Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber, uh, YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week on the podcast, it's going to be 3,000 years of longing. Yeah. See it in the theater if you can. It's worth yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Before it disappears. Uh, that's going to be our main review, the new George Miller movie. And until next week, thank you so much for listening to the film cast. Uh, we really appreciate it. And. Uh... <laughs> wow. Still not getting the timing of this uh, wow. closing music right. Nailed it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>